0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus.
1: Hello, my name is Andy Prince, and I will be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So then, my brothers and sisters, be glad in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to repeat the same thing to you because they will help you keep you on track. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for people who do evil things, the ones who serve by God's Spirit and boast in Christ Jesus. We don't put our confidence in rituals performed on the body, though I have good reason to have this kind of confidence. If anyone else has reason to put their confidence in physical advantages, I have even more. I am from the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. With respect to observing the law, I am a Pharisee. With respect to devotion to the faith, I harass the church. With respect to righteousness under the law, I am blameless. These things were my assets, but I wrote them off as a loss for the sake of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Andy, thank you for reading the scripture today. Very much appreciate you doing that. You know, we all love hearing about churches that do really well, that are really successful, that are really healthy. We love hearing about, you know, these churches where the members enjoy really healthy relationships with one another, where uh, they have lots of great study options and where they have great service opportunities out into the community and the world. And we love hearing about those churches, where they inspire us, right? Well, we also love to hear about church fights, too, right? Come on, and we, we kind of like to hear about what churches argue about, Uh, Tom Rainier is a church consultant, researcher, writer, and uh, one day, uh, just a while back, he put out on Twitter, he just said, Hey, what are some of the silly things churches fight about? And he was overwhelmed by the response. I mean, he just had numerous stories of people saying, Hey, this is the silly things my church fought about. And so he did a blog, and it was his 25 uh, favorite things on that list. Nothing scientific about it. They were just his selections. I'm not going to go through all 25, but uh, I'll I'll just give you a few. Uh, Here's one at one church. The business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two meetings to decide. A dispute of whether to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. My guess is it was men. (laughs) arguing about whether or not to do that a couple of churches fought over coffee now that's close that's near and dear to my heart i mean i can understand a fight over coffee up there were arguing about the coffee that they served on sundays and so you know do we get a different brand do we change the flavor all these things and so they finally decided we're not going to change the brand of coffee that we purchased but we are going to do a darker roast and some people left the church over it. Here's another one. Some members left the church because one member hid the vacuum cleaner from the others. Hey, if you want to hide the vacuum cleaner from me, it's okay. I'll get over it, I'll be fine. There's a dispute in another church whether, over whether the church should allow people to wear black t shirts since black is the color of the devil. I wore this sweater today for exactly this reason, just for that one line. I thought I would wear a black sweater. Some of the silly things we argue about and get distressed about in the church. But some things, of course, are a little more serious. Some things are a little more weighty. I actually went to a church many years ago to serve as pastor, and I became aware in the early weeks that I was there that there were some people, quite a few people in that church, who were part of an organization on a particular social issue of the day. And they felt very, very strongly about that, their perspective on that social issue. And I found out that they were listening very, very closely to my messages and my teachings. Not because they were so great, but because they were listening for those code words, those phrases that would let them know that I'm one of them. And, if they, and after they didn't hear them over a period of time, well, they became concerned, and a couple of them came to visit with me and said, you know, we don't ever hear you talking about, and they said these things. And I said, well, no, those didn't really fit with the Scripture that I was preaching. I said, no, I wasn't. Wouldn't talk about that there. Well, but we just—we're just concerned. We think we ought to be hearing that. Really? Why? I mean, I knew why. <laughs> I never I never did say that I'm for you or I'm against you. But it was, I think they understood. I was going to preach the things I thought I needed to preach. It was teach the Bible the way I thought it should be taught, and ultimately, several of them left the church. So sometimes it gets a little more about weightier matters. But it's funny how we in the, we, folks in the church, we Christians, sometimes lay, uh, lay over uh, bona fides on people to determine whether or not they're true believers. If you're a Christian, then surely you are against that. If you're a Christian, surely you support this. Or the one you've, we've all heard, you can't be a Christian and think... Fill in the blank. Sometimes it's like we're trying to take over the grace of God and determine who gets God's grace and who does not. Or sometimes we may communicate, and this seems even more devious, that the grace of God is great and available to you right now. But if you want to be a true, true Christian, a true believer, then here, sign this form that says these things. You know, we see in the scripture today that this is a very real issue in the Philippian church. This is a very real issue in the Philippian church. Paul writing to them says, tells them to beware of the dogs. Now, I know it's right off the bat. You're kind of like, well, wait, we're not supposed to call people names, right? I mean, it's, we're, we by by teaching an example, we we are not. We should not call people names. I mean, we know this, right? I mean, just making sure. That's not okay to do. Well, in that day and time, he used a specific term. It just doesn't quite make it in the translation. He used a specific term that indicated people who were really working to undermine his efforts. So in his day and time, when Paul used that word, his, the people of the Philippian church would have known exactly what he was talking about. It wasn't just a, you know, a derogatory term thrown out at people for general purposes it was for specific people who were working against and trying to undermine what they were trying to accomplish in the church now the thing we need to know is what were they fighting about what were they what were his opponents i mean in different places not just here in philippians but other places he talks about his opponents the enemies um especially in the book of galatians what was what was the issue issue was was that there were uh, these folks who said that you if you want to be a christian if you want to follow jesus you must first become a jew in order to follow jesus right because it's the, it, this is the story of how god began by calling abraham out separately said you will be the father of a great nation multiple descendants all these things and that was the beginning of the people of israel and from the people of israel israel you had jesus himself a jew who lived and died, lived again, so that we would experience God's grace in a very real way. And so some people were saying, well, then you've got to go all the way back to the beginning. You've got to be a Jew first before you can be a Christian. Most of the church at Philippi that Paul is writing to do not have a Jewish background. So they're hearing this with some alarm that there are people out there saying you have, must be a Jew first. Now, part of the alarm is that you may recall that part of the uh, uh, part of the mark of being a Jew well, for males was circumcision. A, a Jewish male baby was to be circumcised on the eighth day, and so uh, part of the deal was you must. Become a Jew. So that means you must be circumcised and go through all the things to become a Jew. Then you can follow Jesus. And so Paul is is writing back saying, no, whoa, 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 whoa. That is not true. That is not accurate. That is not the case. You do not have to go backwards. You don't have to somehow earn your way to a point where God says, okay, you're good enough. Now you can be in. My grace is going to be okay for you now because you've earned a certain level It doesn't work that way, Paul says. So they twisted it around in a way that suited their efforts. The dogs, as Paul called them. And it appeared that there might have been some people in the Philippian church and otherwise who had heard that and believed it and they'd been through the whole process. Paul's saying, no, that is not the case. And so he uses himself as an example here. He says, look, if, if anyone has a, a way to argue about this, he said, it's me because I, I've been that Jew. I've lived that life. I mean, he, he says, I'm, I'm from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. With respect to observing the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, I've read this passage, I don't know how many times, and for whatever reason, this time it jumped out at me that Paul says, I, I'm a Pharisee. You might remember Jesus had conversations with Pharisees in the Gospels, had some pretty strong confrontations with them. And so we sometimes think about the Pharisees as, oh, those were really bad people. It wasn't so much they were bad people, they were misguided. That, that they they were they took a very strict view of the law. And taught that you had to really observe everything in the law. So Paul's saying that that was him. That was him, with with respect to devotion to the faith. I harassed the church. With respect to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. Now, I know he doesn't mean perfect. He just means he fulfilled all those things that all these other people are saying you must do first. And Paul's saying I did all that. And then he says I ca- those were my assets. And yet I counted it all as loss for the sake of the grace of God through Christ Jesus. He's not saying his past doesn't matter. He doesn't say uh, that was all terrible. Sh- he's, say, he's just saying that you can't tell me I have to go all the way back to somehow be, uh, to be um, a recipient of God's grace. And so if you're a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, you, no, you don't have to go all the way back here and come all the way through Well, it was a continuing problem. It didn't just happen there in Philippi. It happened in other places. The human effort, although maybe stellar in the case of Paul, doesn't really amount to anything in respect to God's gift of grace. Paul didn't say his past is meaningless. He's saying that in comparison to the grace of God through Jesus, that past is kind of irrelevant. So we live today. So let's kind of fast forward. We live today in, in kind of a weird time, in lots of ways, um, and it's a time where I, I've always, really, ever since I started taking my faith seriously when I was a teenager, I've always hated division in the church. I don't mean just this, you know, what this. I mean the church. I mean among Christians. I've always hated division, and and for. A variety of reasons but among them is that the new testament seems to be pretty clear that god's against it god's that's not what god wants god intends unity not division and there's some fairly strong language in the new testament about division division in the church and efforts to do things that create that division you ever notice that we sometimes want to make a narrower and narrower definition of what it means to be a true believer? Well, uh, you got to be against this, and you got to be for that, and you got to support, and you got to reject, and you got to. And yet, when we, we, narrow, we narrow the frame, we're always within the frame. Have you ever, have you ever heard someone say, well, let's work, okay, we're, well, you got to support this, you got to reject that, you got to. Oh, wait, but I'm, I'm okay with that. I guess I'm outside. Well, no, no one does that. We all see ourselves as right squarely in as a true believer. But if people disagree with me on this and that, they're not a true believer. <laughs> so, Paul, so Paul uses himself as an example. He uses himself as an example. Paul, for some people, is a very controversial figure uh, in the New Testament because it's not unusual not unusual, it's kind of um, consistent with him to point to himself as an example. And some people think he's just really full of himself. But it's not exactly that way. Especially in that day and time, it was customary, it was common for in that society for older men to be viewed as a mentor. Someone to look up to, someone to learn from. And older men understood themselves to be a mentor for younger men. That was kind of an understanding. And so older men, it would, have been, it would have been something they might have said. Hey, younger man, I learned from my life. Look at the things I did, the ways I learned. They're not saying they're perfect. They're not saying to put me up on a pedestal. Just they're a mentor. They're a role model. It's an example. And that's what Paul does here when he talks about his own past and how he has said, you know what? That was, that's all good and fine, but that is not equal to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So we can't create more division. Now we'll have disagreements. Of course we will. It doesn't mean we can't have unity. It doesn't mean we can't say over some social issue, huh, I didn't didn't know you thought that way. See, I kind of see it this way, which is really different than yours. And just be okay. Oh, there's too much at stake. We need you on our side. Sign this thing. So Paul uses his life to instruct what this might look like for that early church. And friends, and to me, this, this does say something about the role of adults in helping out in children's ministry. Adults who don't have that age child. Maybe empty nesters who volunteer to work with children's ministry or student ministry. Because I, mean, I know for me, yes, my family was the primary place I learned the faith. Absolutely. But wow, was it reinforced When my Sunday school teacher was Jerry, a farmer, great guy, I learned a lot from him. And it reinforced what I heard at home. To be around Jim and Jane Ann, that my first, I remember being this really awkward, awkward, quiet, shy middle schooler going to youth group for the first time. And Jim and Jane and Ann just kind of took me under their arms, under their wings, and gave me a safe place. They lived it out. I saw that. It was, it was reinforced in other people how important that is that we see those connections, not just with our family, but with others in the church. So, so Paul, in tra- talking about what this life would look like what this means to receive fully receive the gift of Christ is something that uh, is not an outward sign. He's pretty clear about that. It's not an outward physical sign that you do somehow to show that you've done it. But but it's something that's inward. As a matter of fact, when he talk, he does talk about circumcision, but it's not a literal physical act. It's a metaphor. In Romans chapter two. He says this A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person who is a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. It's an inward reality. You know, I've said before that to follow Jesus, the first act we have to do, the first step we have to take is surrender. My heart is yours. I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. Jesus, you lead, guide, direct me so I can be the person you want me to be. It's it's something in the heart. Now, Paul doesn't invent this, interestingly. You know, uh, Paul, you've heard of the book of Deuteronomy. Not a lot of people have read the book of Deuteronomy, at least not without falling asleep in it several times when you try. It's one of those Old Testament books that's kind of long, and it's one of the books of the law, part of the Torah. It's a really important book in the Old Testament, establishing the the practices and the patterns and the understandings and the relationships of God's people early on. And so when Paul talks about this circumcision of the heart, he's not making this up. You go back to Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, says the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Wow, doesn't that sound familiar? And When someone asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? He said that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength. He was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. They're just reflecting back saying what we've known all this time, it's there. We just sometimes choose to focus on some of the particulars of it instead of the spirit of it which is to change us it's not about getting someone else to line up to say you can't do that because i think it's really the wrong thing i have to look inward first i have to be a recipient of true recipient of god's grace before i can extend god's grace to others So as a church that seeks to be a joyful community that strives to live and love like Jesus, well, that means that when we're together we want to experience joy together. Sure. And and that's, that's absolutely true. And I think there is joy in this church. But it also means taking that joy outward uh, to others. It's not just about containing it here. That we would live and love like Jesus. Again, not just when we're here, but when we encounter people the other 167 hours of the week. How do we encounter them? Do we encounter them as people of grace, someone who's had an inward transformation, someone who's a changed person? doesn't necessarily mean it's completely dramatic, but maybe you're more patient now than you used to be. Maybe you're more kind and more thoughtful. Those things that God does inside of us that then radiate outward to be a joyful community that strives to live and love like jesus i invite you to pray with me god we thank you for your grace that is always amazing always amazing because if we really think about it we recognize that there are a lot of reasons Well, all the reasons. We've not earned that grace. It is completely your gift. And so we live lives in response to that gift. So forgive us for the ways that we put conditions on it. Forgive us for creating these dividing lines. Help us to God to live lives where even though in maybe disagreement with somebody over a particular thing or another, we understand we are united by your Spirit, united in your grace, so that we truly can exhibit, not just when we're together as church, but when we are out in the world, we can truly exhibit that we seek to be a joyful community that strives to live and love like Jesus. Pray this in His name. Amen.